I'm honored that you're here this morning on a, on a warm morning. Some of you are here for the first time, um, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, I am awkward. Uh, I want you to know that about me right off the bat. I can be a very awkward person. Uh, my wife and I love it when we see people trip and fall. How many, like, how many of you love just seeing people walking down the street and they kind of trip and then they try to recover? Just a few of you? Okay, good. Carson's here for it. Carson's here with the double, the double-handed. Uh, I, my favorite show, our, our favorite show, Natalie and I, of all time, is The Office. There are some episodes of The Office. That, I remember when I was watching The Office, like as it was coming on in the early 2000s, and I would be sweating watching some of those episodes because I can relate to Michael Scott's awkwardness. I get, I get him. Uh, I get that. We love that show so much, and I think honestly, it's why my wife married me. Like I can be one of the most awkward people of all time. Like, honestly, uh, I'm really awkward. Uh, if you ever ask me what my favorite holiday is, it is not Christmas. I love the birth of Jesus. I love baby Jesus, but I'm awkward at opening presents. And so I love Christmas all the way up to the moment we have to open presents because I never know like what's coming on too strong or too soft with a present, you know, like, so I'm super awkward with that. Uh, I'm awkward at goodbyes. I, we had those interns here for five weeks this summer. I told them like two weeks out. I was like, listen, I love you. I've loved every second we've had with you. But when it's your day to go, you're going to get this awkward goodbye from me. And, uh, and I did. Like, I did. I, I, like, and, and, like, they, they just looked so disappointed. And I was like, I warned you. I was awkward at goodbyes. I'm awkward at dancing. Uh, I'm uncoordinated. Like, when Nick was thanking God for people clapping and singing at the same time today, he was thanking God for me. I want you to know, like, it's a struggle. The struggle is real. I'm uncoordinated. Natalie did not marry me for my dancing abilities. That's why the first song that we ever danced to at our wedding was just a slow song, and they were just all slow songs. And we tried to get everybody on the dance floor so no, uh, nobody would see it. How many of you are awkward people? Any other awkward people in the room? A couple of you. Awesome. Glad you're here. I know you didn't want to raise your hand. Uh, how many of you like, how many of you like awkward people? Any of you like, like watching awkward scenarios and awkward peoples? Uh, I love, like, I love small groups in general because they're awkward. I love leading small groups because I get to manage the awkwardness. Juliana is the leader of the small group that we're part of, and she likes awkwardness even more than I do, so she'll, like, leave that awkward, like, you know, I'll go 15 seconds. When I ask a question in a small group, if nobody answers, I'll start counting. One, two, three. And I'll go to 15. And if nobody answers, I know it's time to move on or I'll call on somebody. Juliana will go to five minutes, I swear. Like, it's like she's counting 300 seconds. And I'm like, whoo, like I'm sweating like profusely because of how she's okay with it. Like some people like awkward. Some people hate it. How many of you hate awkward scenarios? Okay, yeah, there we are. Uh, what is, I wish we could go around the room and even say, like, what is awkward to you? What's not awkward to you? My wife, like, if you, some of you are going to the beach today, if you want to just ask her this, she can go all day long about the awkward scenarios that she loves. I want to tell you a story. If you got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read you one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most awkward stories uh, in Scripture in the life of Jesus. So Luke chapter 7, in the interest of heat, I'm going to just start. It's in verse 30, starting in verse 36, and we're going to read about 15 verses of a, of a story. Now, one of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees in Jesus' day were kind of the religious establishment. These are the, among Jewish culture, like the churchiest of the churchiest of churchy people. These were the people that you walk into the church, and they would have rules about how you, that would just make you feel like you shouldn't have even been there. 
but you were there, like in the Jewish synagogue, right, back in the day. Uh, these people are the people who, I remember going into a church one time, and Natalie and I went, and Natalie comes out of the bathroom and goes, I'm not even kidding what I'm about to tell you. She goes, they had a dress code posted on the wall in the church bathroom. Like, this is these people, the Pharisees. And they, they love God. It's just their love for the rules to sort of codify how you're going to love God overtook their actual love for God, right? And so Jesus has gotten an invite to one of their homes for a dinner party. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house, and he's reclining at the table. And verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. I love the way that Luke says that. A woman of the city who was a sinner. If your mind doesn't take you to what her struggle was, uh, just bear with us. Uh, when she learned that uh, Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So first of all, you got Jesus, who's very popular, sitting at the house of a Pharisee, who wants to be very popular. That's a lot of what the Pharisees longed for, was power and control. And Jesus is here at this dinner party. Have you ever been at a dinner party when you're like, I don't know if they really want me here? Have you ever been at that awkward dinner party? Like, that's what's going on here. Like, Jesus is sifting through the witch's brew of emotions going on in this guy's heart. And he knows, like, the guy wants Jesus here because he's a status symbol. But he's probably also threatened, like most of the Pharisees, by Jesus' influence. And so, and then in walks this prostitute. And she's got this alabaster jar of ointment. This, uh, she's got a big bottle of perfume. Uh, an, an insanely valuable bottle of perfume. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, if that sounds a little awkward, it is awkward. We're going to see how awkward it is. It was not awkward to wash the feet of your dinner guests. We'll see that in just a moment. That's not awkward. But the way this went down is extremely awkward. So you've got an awkward situation now compounded by another, like, you take awkward and multiply it by awkward, and that's what we've got going on right here, and everyone in the room feels it. Now, when the Pharisee, verse 39, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, to himself, internally, if this man was really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Here's the dress code in the bathroom coming out, out of this guy, right? And uh, here it is in verse 40, Jesus answered him, even though he didn't say it to Jesus, he thought it to himself, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, or about a year's wages, and the other 50, a career and a half of wages. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon, the dinner, the dinner host, said, The one, I suppose, for whom he had the larger debt, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You judge rightly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. That was the norm. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, uh, you gave me no kiss, as was typical of the greeting of the Middle Eastern culture in the first century and even today. But from the time I came in, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. That's a baller move, Nick. 
Uh, we have a, at some point in a sermon or something, I said, that's a baller move. And Nick was listening and he was like, who says that's a baller move? And he recorded it. And uh, they've been trying to make it their ringtone and their text. Uh, me saying that's a baller move when I text them. This is a baller move for Jesus. Like only God can forgive, right? Like we get that, right? And so Jesus and the presence of this religious insider says, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this is an awkward situation. You've got Jesus versus the Pharisees. You throw in a sinful woman. There's a lot of crying. Like she's crying enough that they can take the, she can take the tears and wash Jesus's dusty, dirty feet with her tears. There's probably sobbing. There's loads of judging going on. Uh, this is an awkward situation. This is awkward sin. There's awkward sin in the room. Have you ever been in the room where somebody's got some secret something that is not so secret anymore and everyone knows it and it's just like, Arr. Have you ever walked into a family dinner? You probably haven't if you're from New England because in New England you confront problems. But have you ever walked into a family dinner where there's a problem that has not been confronted? If you're from the South, you know what this feels like because in the South, like you can be the biggest backstabber in the world and I'm still going to pass you the turkey at Thanksgiving, right? And like it's awkward. I, maybe some of you who are n native New Englanders or you've been in this situation as well. Like this is an awkward, there's awkward sin in the room that no no one wants to talk about. There's a prostitute among the Pharisees. This is awkward love. Maybe the most awkward thing here is this is an awkward display of love. Like we kind of clean this up. We, because Jesus is there, we tend to imagine Jesus with a nice white robe and everybody in the room smells good. And we always envision Jesus having nice straight hair and great teeth and no body odor. And this is the first century Middle East. And this is so awkward. This is awkward. This is, this is an awkward display of love. Tears poured out. She, her tears are down near Jesus' feet, pouring out on his feet, wiping the dust with her hair. It's a lot going on here. This is awkward display of love. The, the other thing is that alabaster jar oftentimes was used as a woman's dowry. Like, so you would take this thing and you would then sell it so that you would have money to get married. And so in coming and breaking this over Jesus's feet, she's essentially saying, if I never get married, you are worth more. And maybe my sin has already made me unmarriable anyhow. Jesus, I'm desperate. I'm awkwardly desperate, wiping dirty feet, kissing Jesus's feet. I remember one time, we had a really uh, dear friend in, our, in a previous ministry, and uh, he struggled with addiction really bad. And, uh, and he, was, he was gay, very openly gay, very flamboyantly gay. I never will forget, he walked into church one Sunday, and all the men in our church were kind of standing around having coffee. And here he comes in with a pink button-up shirt and a pink bow tie, very feminine. I think he was actually drunk at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. He comes in and he hugs me and he kisses me on the cheek. And I was like, I'm so glad you're here. It's the first time he'd ever come. It was so awesome, so powerful. And never will forget the guys in the church, because this is, you know, it's the South and it was in the Baptist church. They're all standing over there drinking their coffee and he walks off and gets a seat and they come up to me. 
You want us to take care of that? I was like, what are you talking about? They were like, we'll tell him never to do that again. I was like, man, that dude is desperate today. And he was just loving me the best way that he knows how in that moment. And I love him, and I'm thrilled that he's here. It was awkward, an awkward display of love, but it was genuine. And that's what's going on this moment, times 10. You've got this guy, Simon the Pharisee. He wants a measured love. This isn't Peter. This isn't Simon Peter. This is Simon the Pharisee. He's a totally different guy. He wants a measured love. He wants this love for Jesus at this dinner party to be measured and proper, proper love. Jesus, he calls Jesus teacher. He would not dare call Jesus Lord. That would be breaking protocol. He didn't honor Jesus as the guest. He didn't have a servant wash Jesus' feet. He didn't, typically when someone came in your house, you would get olive oil and you would sort of give it to them for their hair and their face to just freshen up. He did none of that. He wants a very measured love for Jesus. And sometimes if we've been wounded or we like to keep control, we like measured love. And in church, definitely we like measured love. We've been meeting in this space for four and a half months now. And today was the least measured the worship has ever been. And I hope it becomes even less measured in here. Like I want there to be order and not craziness and chaos. So if someone who's never been in church and doesn't know the Lord at all, I don't want them to be confused when they come in here. But there's a a, a moment in, in King David's life where he's coming into the city with the Ark of the Lord and he's dancing and he literally strips down to a little robe that the priest wears. And his wife says, how dare you, the king of Israel, make a fool of yourself today? And David David says, oh, you hadn't seen nothing. I will become even more undignified in praising the Lord. See, Simon wants a measured love, and Jesus wants undignified love from us. Man, he wants us to be undignified. Jesus is good with awkward love. He wants lavish love. He wants costly love. He wants awkward love. And if there's a title today, here it is. Love is awkward. Love is awkward. It can just be awkward. Love is awkward. The love of Jesus, a fire in our hearts, is awkward. When Jesus gets a hold of you, like I want you to think back to when you gave your life to Jesus. Everybody just kind of close your eyes for just a second and think back to when you gave your life to Jesus. Are you more awkward in your love for Jesus today? Are you more measured in your love for Jesus today? I promise you, Jesus is okay with you being more awkward, with a more lavish love, with a more undignified love. He loves the love of this woman, this prostitute who comes in and totally wrecks the dinner party with her display of love. Let me just show you, we don't even have a slide for it, but I want to show you how this love plays out. Let me read to you just one verse in 1 Peter. Peter, who may have been at this dinner party years later, writes in 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 8, he says, Above all, over everything else, over all the commands to hope and be sober-minded and become pursue discipleship and have self-control and have faith, above all this, keep loving one another earnestly. 
and earnestly is in the ESV. Uh, that's what we use on Sundays. It's what's under the chairs. If you ever need a Bible, we use the English Standard Version. Earnestly probably doesn't do this justice. But he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. He says, so uh, if you would say today, oh, Christ Church is my church, this verse would be for us today. And it would be calling us to a few things. He would say, keep loving. When he says, above all, love, he's saying, that verse saying, love, 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 keep loving, pursue love, ongoing verb, keep loving one another, it's mutual, I want to tell you this, Howard, let me borrow you for a second, Howard tends to be my go-to illustration person, Um, you can just stay right there, so what, what Peter's saying here, keep loving one another, so if Howard is loving me, if Howard is loving me, and Howard is loving me, and loving me, and I'm Guarded and protecting myself, I'm disobeying the spirit of this verse. Love has to be mutual. When one person loves in a relationship or at work or at church, when one person is loving and the other is not, that's abuse. Abuse loves without being loved. Abuse listens and is never able to give back. Abuse constantly takes and never gives. And Peter says, above all else, keep loving one another. Our love for each other in this church needs to be mutual. Thanks, you can sit down. I promise I won't call on you again. I'll pick on somebody else if I need them. Keep loving one another earnestly. Here's what that means, that earnestly. The word is outstretched. Keep loving one another outstretched. With outstretched arms, stretching yourself thin to love one another above all else. Keep loving one another earnestly. And he goes on and he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean when we're nice to each other that it offers forgiveness between us and God. What it means is when we love one another and it's mutual, it covers when we wrong one another and hurt one another. And listen, like, if you hang around here, you're going to be hurt by somebody in this room. But if you hang around here, you're going to hurt someone in this room too. And the way we love each other with outstretched love will be the thing that causes us to keep leaning in and saying, you hurt me. I know you didn't mean to because you love me. As real as the hurt is, the love is even more. And that's what's going on this night at this dinner party Jesus is at. And he says, above all of this stuff, do this thing. And so what we want to aim at as a church is ordinary people, extraordinary love. Ordinary people, extraordinary love. Extraordinary love, ordinary people. This is not for the pros. My wife is a professional lover of people. She truly is one of the most gifted people I've ever met at loving others. It's not just for those people. I'm a curmudgeon. I love in doses. You know what I mean? It's not just for her. All the people with nice temperaments are supposed to love. No, no, no. Ordinary people. Extraordinary love. We're able to love in an extraordinary way. All of us have to excel at love. It's Bill Belichick looking at our church saying, do your job. If you've been coming two weeks, but this is your church, do your job, love. Oh, you've been following Jesus for five months, do your job. 
Oh, you've been following Jesus 50 years. You don't get to sit on the bench. There's no retirement. Do your job. Extraordinary love. Extraordinary love. Jesus is the star of Christ Church Charlestown. And Jesus is the star of Christianity. The rest of us are just a bunch of nobodies. There's no gifted people in here. Not in that way. There's nobody where we go, oh man, he's gifted at love. They're gifted at love. No, if the Holy Spirit of Jesus is in us because we are followers of Christ, we are ordinary people capable of extraordinary love, a bunch of nobodies able to give this love away that's wild. Let me give you just a couple of ways that we do that. One, start slow. If you say, dude, I need to, JD, I'll be honest, or Lord, I'm going to be honest, I need to love these people better sitting here in the room. Start slow. Here's a simple way. Just talk to each other. Look around the room. How many of you look around the room and say, there's somebody here I don't know? A little more awkward. This happened Wednesday night. How many of you uh, look around the room and go, there's somebody I don't know, but I've been coming long enough and they've been coming long enough that I probably should know them. That ever happened? That happened Wednesday. Uh, I love I love those moments. That's good. That's good. Start. Hey, my name is so and so. What's your name? Start with just talking with one another. Listen to one another. Listen to one another. Sometimes we're thinking about the next conversation. The next thing. What we're going to say in response. What we what we're going to have for lunch. How hot it is in this room. Listen to one another. Listen. Start slow. Listen to one another. Pursue one another. Respond to one another. Sometimes, I'll be honest, read the room sometimes is not the best moment to have the most in-depth conversation. Read the room. We struggle with this sometimes, right? Like, start slow. Be sensitive to the person we're talking to, looking them in the eye, engaging them, understanding that everybody's got their hurts and habits and hangups, and you do too. And we walk into this room, 40, 50 people every Sunday with a million things going on. Start slow, reciprocate in love. Get below the surface. No cliches. I don't want to be a church full of cliches. None of that. None of this, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. When you know deep down you're dying on the inside. Everybody doesn't have to know everything, but somebody needs to know everything, and a lot of us need to know something. we got to get below the surface, and we do that by refusing to hide, by telling stories about ourselves, asking questions, sharing our struggles, spending time together, and especially in the hard times. And again, it has to be mutual. It has to be, like if Ed and I are going to be close, it has to be me pursuing Ed and Ed pursuing me. It can't just be Ed pursuing me. It has to be mutual. We've got to be sensitive to one another as we love one another awkwardly, extravagantly. Show it. Scripture talks about the holy kiss. Greet each other with a holy kiss. It's essentially what I got Chad did that day in church. I'm not really down with that. Like, I love all of you guys and ladies. I think you're wonderful. I'd rather our affections not make their way to kiss, especially in a post-COVID world. I don't have to do the kiss on the cheek. But we probably could and should hug more than we can. Five into a hug more than we do. Be warm. COVID, if it has robbed anything of us, it's robbed the ability to be warm. We've become very suspicious of one another. That rightly so. 
But we can't let that trauma of what we've been through for the last two years shape how we're going to show affection to one another forever. We need to be, uh, we need to have a posture of leaning in. Leaning in to one another physically, emotionally, all those. Maybe hugs. If, if, you're, if you're not a hugger, and some of, like, this is where I get super awkward, by the way. Like, I'm not intuitively a hugger. There are some of you I hug, some I don't, most I don't. Uh, the interns, like, they were like, they, they felt like my kids. And so uh, on the last day they, that they were here, um, Kayla and uh, my niece, Sarah, and one of the interns was here. And I take them to the airport and I hug my niece because I've known her since she was one. And I hugged the intern because they're like, they were like my little kids by the end of the summer. And then I see Kayla and I go, bye. Because she's not a hugger either. And so it was wonderful. And she was like, bye, see ya. And it was awesome. Like, if you're not a hugger, that's okay. Give a holy fist bump. Like something. Let's show affection to one another. Words of encouragement, affirmation. Say thank you. Say this. I see this in you. And tell the other person what you see in them. Sometimes we just need someone to go, man, I see in you a warmth that I don't see. I see in you that you could lead a small group. I see in you that you are really generous. I see these things in you. Show, show this awkward affection. Next, confront people when necessary. Love covering a multitude of sins does not mean love overlooks a multitude of sins. Jesus didn't overlook the woman's sin. He covered it. You're like, you are saved. Your sins are forgiven. It's going to be okay. Love each other enough to fight for each other and to fight for one another's holiness. Kevin DeYoung says, sin is one of the main things we have in common. Let's talk about it. Oh, you're cheap? Me too. We're sinners. Let's talk about it. Oh, you got a loose tongue and you like to swear? Oh, me too. Let's talk about how we need Jesus to like redeem our mouths together. Oh, you're impatient? Oh, I promise you, I'm more sinfully impatient than you. Let's talk about it. Cover the sin. Don't overlook it in love. That can get awkward. Like if we're talking about the awkward spectrum, now we're talking about people who are in. You're a believer. You're part of this church. We ought to love one another enough to fight for our holiness together. And then finally, giving one another the benefit of the doubt, not being easily offended, being in it for the long haul. We've been having a conversation, I've actually had it twice this week, so weird, so random. Natalie, I, I don't know why it was on my brain, but I told her the other day, I said, if I die, I need you. I was like, I don't care where you put my body. You can cremate me or bury me. I don't care, but get a headstone and whatever remains there are of me, put me in the dirt somewhere. And she was like, why are you saying this? I was like, I don't know. I just need you to know this. And uh, Carson and I were hanging out on Friday, and he goes, what are you going to do with your body when you die? I was like, is this a sign? Like, if this happens a third time, am I as good as dead? Like, so don't ask me uh, what I'm going to do with my body. I've just told you what I'm going to do with it, right? Like, I, I want, I, it will not offend me if I am buried in New England. I plan to die in New England. I'm in it for the long haul with you people, if you'll let me be. I want us to be in it for the long haul with each other. Even more, wherever they put my remains, they're going to put Natalie Mangrum's remains right there as well. We're in it for the long haul with one another. And that's going to require that our love be awkward if we're going to do these things a long time together. This is really critical right now in our church. We need lavish, costly, risky, awkward love. 
People who will love like the woman and not like Simon. The destiny of Christ Church Charlestown and the spiritual health of our community lies in us being willing to love like the woman and not like Simon. And love everybody like the woman and not like Simon. Are we, as we get more large and our church is growing, it is growing. As we get more large and more diverse, it's going to require more love as choice and less love as feeling. Let me say it again. As our church grows larger and more diverse, and it is larger and more diverse than it was one year ago, it will require love that is a choice and not just a feeling. Do it. And if you don't feel it, go ahead and love people fully and the feelings will follow. Let me give you one last quote and I'll bring it into the barn. Paul Tripp says this, God never intended us to simply be objects of his love. We are also called to be instruments of that love in the lives of others. God didn't call you just to be the object of his love. Jesus died for me, to help me. That is true, but that is only half of the story. He also died so that you and I would be instruments of his love in the lives of others. Love, let me just say, love covers a multitude of sins. I love that earnestly word, that outstretched, because if we want to know what love is like, We look to the cross. We look to the cross. You want to see outstretched love? Look to Jesus. His love covered a multitude of sins. And I had a multitude of sins. And you had a multitude of sins. And humanity had a multitude of sins. And Jesus' death will cover our sins. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. It's like an infomercial. We don't have to muster up that love. Oh, God, I'm going to try to love Howard with that love. That love of Jesus. I'm going to love Matthew with that. How am I going to do it? No, the beauty of the gospel is not that Jesus makes us the object of his love, but he pours his spirit into us and he will love through us. We don't muster up that love. That love is in us. And if Christ is in us, we receive that love and then we give it away. And it's such a weird thing, the gospel, when it comes to love, because the more of it we give away, the more we find ourselves receiving. That's why you'll never meet someone who says that they gave something away to Jesus and they regretted it. I've watched pastors say to people, I'm going to challenge you to tithe for a month. And at the end, if you don't feel like your heart is more full, maybe not necessarily your bank account, but your heart is more full, then we will refund your money. I've literally watched churches commit to that. I can promise you, We never refunded any money. I've never watched anybody who went on a mission trip go, what a waste of time. Loving those kids. Loving that neighborhood. Colossal waste of time. It doesn't work that way. The more that the love of Jesus goes out of us as his instrument, the more that it comes into us as an object of his love. As lavish as her love was that day. I want to promise you it was more lavish after verses 48 and 50. In 48, Jesus says, I forgive you. In 50, he says, you are saved. She showed lavish love, and that was God's love drawing her in. And then Jesus saved her and forgave her. And I promise you, what she did on that day was nothing compared to the way that this woman loved Christ going forward. Let our love be awkward 
unreserved, nothing held back, because that's the love that God has given us in Christ. Let me pray for us.